You're listening to episode 61 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and after a whirlwind week of baseball news, we try to break it all down and then take another trip to the minor leagues. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of the show. It is the winter warm-up edition of Chirps, and uh, that's like the least newsworthy part of this week. I'm Tara alongside Alex Crisofoli, as usual, and we actually have a really exciting guest joining us later on in the show. So stick around for that. More conversation about minor league baseball, as has become my pet project. I don't know. I just drag Alex along with me for the fun at this point. But speaking of fun, wow. What a week it has been in the world of baseball. I, I I don't think I'm speechless very often, but this week, man, this is almost done it. Yes, Thursday was a big problem because I was trying to actually get a lot of work done when all that was happening. And I couldn't, I believe that was Thursday when... It all runs together at this point. We, I don't we know. find <laughs> out uh, incarcerated Bob, who, I mean, it's pretty much a, uh, a burner account anyway. We find out he has his own burner accounts. Um, Posing as Carlos Beltran's niece? What? Was it proven that was his bur- I just saw a tweet that said, aha, I figured out this is actually incarcerated Bob's... Uh, there was some pretty compelling evidence. It, it, and then it okay. disappeared and his account went private <laughs> very quickly. So it, I, it, I, I tend to private? lean towards that. I don't know. I haven't checked in a few days. <laughs> Has this fellow, uh, what do we know about this guy? Has he been, is that, this a nickname or has he actually been on the inside? Uh, what is his, what do we know <laughs> I about don't, him? I don't know the, uh, I, I the origin know how, story. I want to know of... how angry, how mean I can be to him online. <laughs> well, I think he set himself up for just about <laughs> anything that anyone will throw at him. Um, no, I don't quite know the, the source of some of the information he receives, but he doesn't do himself any favors with <laughs> burner accounts that um, were not too difficult to figure out, evidently, for the, the short amount of time it took to put those pieces together. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and the strange thing is that's like still maybe not the weirdest thing that happened in baseball this week. Um, so if for some reason you actually had real life to pay attention to this week, let's rewind very quickly. The report, of course, came out about the Astros and the punishments levied by Major League Baseball for the trash can banging, sign stealing scandal. We're going to have to come up with a name for this thing. I've seen several attempts on Twitter. I haven't seen anything that's really stuck. But nonetheless... That all happened. Okay, we knew about that. We talked last week. Are the punishments appropriate? Are they not? And then there seemed to be these strange accusations from players as they (laughs) completely disregarded MLB's uh, memo to not talk about the Houston Astros that seemed to imply there was more going on. Wearable tech, buzzers. Uh, Everyone started posting pictures and circling every weird crease on a jersey they could find. There were accusations about Mike Trout taking HGH. It just all exploded at once. And also, by the way, Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran were fired. Technically, Carlos Beltran wasn't fired, but basically he was fired. 
and that was just like the start of the firestorm that led to incarcerated Bob and (laughs) Carlos Beltran's niece. (laughs) The, uh, Regarding the viral Jose Altuve video after he hits the walk-off home run against the Yankees and is, seems to be telling his teammates not to shred his jersey, that's one of those things that could be absolutely nothing or it could be everything. <laughs> yeah. Right? Totally. Or you know, nothing much in between. Uh, I would also like to point out, if that's just Jose Altuve saying – I've had it with the jersey shredding, then I'm totally on his side. I hate the jersey shredding. I didn't, I didn't even like it when <laughs> Nick Punto did it that much to uh, Chris Carpenter after the game in Philadelphia. I just never understand that as a, as a means of celebrating. Yeah, it's, it's a little strange. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, now, the problem is there's going to be a lot of pressure anytime you hit a walk-off home run to have your jersey shredded. <laughs> otherwise, Just people start will... unbuttoning it as yeah, you're running. Yeah, otherwise people might think like, you're, 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 you're hiding something. So I don't know. Um, I should also point out that we usually record on Tuesday night. Uh, we're actually recording on Monday night for, right. for scheduling reasons. So, And this is probably post-Wednesday morning. So it still feels fresh to us. Whether it still feels fresh Wednesday morning, I don't know. We'll see. But as of talking about it right now, it still feels all this craziness still feels kind of fresh and in our heads. Also, who knows what's going to happen between now right. and Wednesday yes. morning? Yes. So this could all be completely irrelevant, or mm-hmm. it, it could all be proven factual by then. Um, the Astros then had to report to FanFest, which had to be the most awkward thing that, that could possibly happen in the immediate aftermath of this. But they didn't do themselves any favors, Alex, in responding to questions about it. And what's been fascinating to me throughout this whole thing is that not a single one of them has said, no, that didn't happen. No, we didn't do that. They've all just kind of talked their way around it and made some, you know, I don't know, found some way to talk around the fact that this did or didn't happen and just sort of alluded to, well, Major League Baseball will do what Major League Baseball is going to do, which may be what they were told to say. But, man, coming coming into FanFest after all of this was proven, <laughs> um, it doesn't make you look real great to then try to set yourself up as the underdog because people just don't believe in you as the the running um, theme of their their response in, in questions to this. Yes, I kind of have a different approach on it. First, I agree. They did not give great answers, although I don't know what I was expecting to come out of Lance Berkman's <laughs> mouth uh, when asked about it. But I will say, if we've learned anything about fans and fandom, It's that usually they will stick by you through almost anything. In fact, they will rally around you through the worst times when they shouldn't be rallying around you. Um, So I I don't know. I I almost see what they're doing here being like, yeah, I get it. Like they're just going to say like, hey, look, hey, look, Astros fans, the whole world is against us. Are we going to allow this? No. Are we going to all band together and, you know, try to – uh, shove it down their throats next season. Yes, you know, I feel like that's kind of what they're doing here. Kind of what the Patriots have been doing for years now, acting yeah. like it's them against the world. Uh, I think that's going to be the approach they're taking. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me that, you know, I, I it doesn't surprise me that the fans aren't like 
shunning them, the exact opposite. They're probably embracing them and are more uh, defensive about them than ever before. And if I'm being perfectly honest, if I'm trying to think if the, if the Cardinals were in this situation, I would just to keep my sanity on some level, have to embrace the, the heel turn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some teams can play the villain very well. The Astros are going <laughs> to find out if they can or if they can't facing a bunch of guys who have not been quiet about, um, you know, the, the disadvantage they were at playing them in the last couple of seasons. One player who made some pretty specific comments actually at winter warmup this weekend was Matt Carpenter, who I thought gave uh, a pretty interesting answer in regards to the significance of something like this. And look, there's sort of a fuzziness, right, to what is across the line in sign stealing. Um, but Matt Carpenter gave, I believe it was Ben Fredrickson, a, a pretty well thought out answer that essentially was saying, like I wouldn't have been terrible last year if I knew what what uh, what the pitches were going to be, and and that anyone who plays the game at that level, they may not hit a walk off home run every time, but their odds go dramatically up if they know what the pitch is. And I also thought it was interesting. He noted that uh, he's totally fine with sign stealing on the field as far as like a guy at second base. But he also said very clearly, we've just never been good at that, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I hesitate to bring up Kurt Schilling for the, uh, I mean, kind of obvious reasons, but I, he did say something interesting years ago. One time when I saw him being interviewed, uh, I mean, interesting, but also kind of simple, but interesting nonetheless, which is basically that he said when he was pitching, his goal was to throw a ball when he thought the pit, when he thought the batter thought he was going to throw a strike, and to throw a strike when he thought the batter was going to be expecting a ball, and that goes to the heart of exactly what Carpenter said. If the batter knows what the pitcher is going to throw, then it's pretty much game over for the pitcher. They they really don't have a chance out there. Yeah. Now, like you said, um, we've seen plenty of you know, hard hit balls that happen to go right to a third baseman or right to a right fielder or whatever. But yeah, the pitchers are at a distinct disadvantage if the hitters, if the hitters know what's coming and it kind of eliminates the essence of baseball. I mean, every play in baseball starts with this sort of duel between pitcher batter with the pitch being thrown to the batter. And if, if that whole kind of like, thing just falls down then what what are we left with it doesn't even feel like the same sport almost yeah you know in some and this is probably a terrible comparison but in some ways I was just listening to Jack Flaherty on a podcast the other day talk about why he doesn't like the idea of the automatic strike zone the the robo lumps right and part of it is because as a pitcher he figures out what he can get away with mm. and then he uses that to his advantage. And if it's a, a an automated strike zone, he can't get that pitch that's just off the corner. And if he can't get that pitch, then it means his whole strategy changes. I, I think to some degree it's similar in that 
if you're the pitcher or the batter in a scenario where you you don't know exactly what's coming, I mean, they all know the way that this works, right? We sit at home and go, oh, he's going to throw that off-speed pitch in the dirt now, right? We can all try to guess what the pitch is going to be, but it's different if you know what's coming versus if you're trying to still guess the strategy that the pitcher is uh, trying to trick you with, right? So there's this, like, if you already know, or if it's so robotic that you don't get that, you don't get the corner or you can't, you know, fool them with a a release point that, you know, allows for tunneling or whatever it is, you know, there are so many variables um, that to some degree, I feel like it takes that element away. And that's why, that's why players don't like it. Because if the opponent knows what, pitch is coming but your guys don't you know there's um there's there's no way to combat that really effectively so i don't know it's been interesting hearing a lot of guys speak about it even though they were told not to and um i I think that it'll be interesting to see what the difference is in the uh the upcoming season either for the astros or for um you know opponents as they face them and, and try to make sure that that no one's gaining an advantage on them in the same way. Yeah, no, I agreed. Um, I guess it was nice to hear the Cardinals pretty much flat out say, we absolutely did not do this unless they are just crazy liars uh, and are, are very <laughs> brazen liars. Uh, I don't, I don't think Mike Schultz strikes me as that type of guy. Uh, but yeah, it, I guess it, it was nice to hear that. Hopefully yeah. we don't have to worry about being on the Astro side of this. Yeah. And it was interesting hearing him basically say, like, we had to talk about it. (laughs) We had to decide what the line was that we weren't going to cross because we knew other teams were doing it, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a weird element of the kind of behind the scenes baseball strategy that, you know, we often don't talk about. So lots of interesting, interesting nuggets coming up because of the Houston uh, scandal, whatever we want to call it. Anything else that came out of winter warmup that seemed interesting? Um, you know, we mm-hmm. have uh, Carlos Martinez who showed up and is evidently ahead of schedule just with no hair at this point. So we'll see how both of those things progress, his arm what? and his, he his style. His, he shaved his head? Shaved his head. Shaved uh, his head. A, I, I was kind of out of the loop this weekend for winter warmup, so I really didn't yeah. see any of it. Okay. I huh. mean, that's obviously the biggest Carlos Martinez well, story. That's probably an improvement <laughs> given what he usually has going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, going on yeah. We'll, we'll see how we'll see how that develops. But as expected, um, you know, he says that he's prepared to be a starter, and the team says they like what they see. But we'll find out when he starts throwing off a mound. Nothing else really spectacular came out. I think there there were comments about Yadier Molina and the possibility of an extension, which is something we've all assumed. Um, Jordan Hicks is on schedule for a middle of the season comeback. Uh, I I don't know. I I guess Harrison Bader saying that center field is his position might've been the strongest message from winter warmup, but I don't know that it's particularly surprising in that regard either. Yeah. I, I saw a few misguided comments on, on this basically saying like, who does this guy think he is? And I'm like, well, what do you want him to say? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, he's a little uh, brash. Is that the word? Um, yeah. You know, he's always been like that. But e- even if it was a guy who isn't as, I guess, loud as he is, like someone like Paul Goldschmidt or something, uh, 
not the greatest comparison because we know Paul Goldschmidt's going to probably win the first base <laughs> job. But, but you know, someone who is not as, you know, loud on the field, you know, w- what do you want them to say? Like, uh, well, I don't know. I hope I get the job, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not that good, so we'll have to find out. I, so I'm certainly hoping I make it, you know. Right. I, I think just not a big deal at all. Um, and I, and the, I don't think anyone's really making that big a deal out of it, but I saw a few people, and they, yeah, should, they should find out my, to worry about. My immediate comparison is Colton Wong last year at Winter Warm-Up. He basically came in and said the same thing, right? And then he went out and proved it <laughs> and had the best year of his career. So I have no problem with a guy coming in when his job's on the line and taking ownership of it. Now, if he goes out and falls flat on his face in spring training and loses a center field job to Lane Thomas, then it's going to look pretty silly. But that's what he should be thinking at this point mm-hmm. in the season as far as going into spring training thinking, no, this is mine. Everyone else back off. Right. And, you know, he was the center fielder uh, right. last year and kind of the year before that, uh, at least probably the guy who played the most innings um, at that position. So it's not it's not insane for him to say that. My main winter warm-up question is this. Did we cause any Cardinals players to have to cancel their vacation plans uh, <laughs> this year for, for to, to, um, to uh, shame them into attending winter warm-up? Because no, that's I, all. That's all I care about. Is I, I after I think Fowler that, last year, it's only fair that um, we our fan base shames at least one guy into canceling their. Uh, I don't know what they whatever they have on schedule. Their their friend's wedding just yeah. not showing up to yeah. instead yeah. <laughs> answer to fans. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but I do feel a little bit bad every year for Colton Wong coming back from Hawaii to the coldest weekend of the winter. Every single time. So we can shift our, our sympathy to Colton this Does year. Does he come every year? I believe so. All right. So flying from Hawaii to, I guess at least you have the tailwind. Well, though you still have to fly back. So I don't. All right. Yeah. So flying from Hawaii to St. Louis, you're talking five hours to LA, five and a half, and then another what? Four to St. Louis? Yeah. So basically, if he traveled in the other direction, he'd be like in Japan. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's a cr- um, people. My point is, I think people forget how far away Hawaii is. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very far. I, if you've I been think there. it's hard to get there unless. I mean, it's hard to get there in general. But if you live on the East Coast or the Midwest and just like forget yeah. about it, it's very far. Yeah, it's quite the process. Although I, I think that you know, based on my very scientific research of Instagram, <laughs> that uh, their plan is to then stay in St. Louis until they go to um, to Florida in a couple of weeks. So oh, okay, not okay. not necessarily making the long trek back, but um, nonetheless, a bit of um, geographic shock to the system <laughs> to show up in the middle of an ice storm in St. Louis this weekend. So props to Colton and Eliza Wong for... Uh, for making their way back to St. Louis. <laughs> it seems like the last couple of years, and this has really been the only time I've, I've followed winter warm-up, it does seem like they've had bad weather every time. Yeah, every time. Hmm. Seems like it's every time. I don't, I don't know how that ends up happening, but it does. But as I alluded to at the beginning of the show, we have a 
great interview for you in this episode. Going to be a little bit longer of a show because we got really invested in this conversation about minor league baseball. Um, and I, about a year and a half ago, had a great conversation with Jeremy Wolf, who was part of the uh, beginnings of More Than Baseball. And he worked very closely with Slade Heathcott, who is our guest. You'll hear from in just a minute to create a nonprofit organization that actually like actively makes things better for minor leaguers. And it's a really interesting conversation. We talk a lot about what's going on in minor league baseball, some of the misconceptions, what it's really like as Slade was a guy who was drafted in, in 2009 and worked his way all the way up to major league baseball and kind of ways that they're attempting to make a difference in the lives of these professional ball players who are paid as temporary interns. And you all know that this is a bit of a soapbox for me. So I enjoyed this conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. We'll circle back around at the end and wrap things up. All right, so joining us now is Slade Heathcott, who has a story of his own as far as his baseball career goes. First rounder for the Yankees in 2009, battled through some injuries, signed a number of different minor league deals with the Yankees, made a major league debut in 2015. Slade, am I correct in all of that? And how do you sum up your experience as a professional baseball player? Let's start there. Uh, That is very correct. Uh, It had a lot of ups and downs. Um, more than anything, it had tons of life lessons. That That is one thing that um, now stepping away from the game last year and now looking back and being involved more in the minor league side and growth and development of players and just uh, people in general, um, as some know and some don't, I had a very interesting first couple of years of uh, my habits off the field and things of that nature. So uh, now looking back at that, those stepping stones and the lessons I learned over the nine and ten, nine or ten years of playing in pro ball, um, they were definitely invaluable. So now, as you mentioned, working on the minor league side, and that's sort of where I came to know about you and your involvement with more than baseball, which is something that you know I've spent a lot of time talking about and, and sharing some of your work. Uh, Director of Business Development, I believe, is your official title there. But um, I know Alex will have some questions. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But introduce us to more than baseball for people who haven't heard or haven't read about what you guys are doing yet. Yeah, so we... Um about 18 months ago, uh, about the time. I mean, so it, it all came from my side. So there, there's two different sides of how more than baseball came about. So my side of it was um, in 2018 when the America Pastime Act was going through the um, through the pipeline and then ended up getting passed. I ended up speaking up pretty loudly in social media regarding this matter. Um, got warned uh, through the grapevine and chose to ignore those (laughs) Um, (laughs) might have pissed off some owners and some other things long story short i got out of the game and was out uh backpacking i was up by the boundary waters actually and i started thinking about why why did i actually want to stand up in the first place um fortunately i i did not have to live that minor league lifestyle with being where i where I was drafted and, and that mm-hmm. opportunity that I was given, but I, I experienced it and saw it on firsthand occasions on so many times. Um, so I, I was just thinking, why, why did I want to stand up? I, you know, my purpose is I wanted to make a difference in players right now. Um, 
and do it and do it in a way that doesn't cause hostility. And, and that's kind of the, the area that I had gotten off into that tangent of uh, maybe my ego is involved and, you know, taking a bigger stand. And then we started, um, I, I it was introduced to Jeremy and mm-hmm. we started talking and, um, you know, when I was on that trip, it just came clear, like we need to help players now and we need to do it in a way that there is a hundred percent a way we just have to find it of how to bring all the sides together in a way that's going to help players and help the game. Most importantly, that that's, that's what we have to help in a game that an average fan of, of 55, I believe was this year um, or last year. And it's a game that we need to expand the fan base. We need to start thinking outside the box and we need to start coming together for the overall ecosystem and environment of the game of baseball. So we, I was introduced to Jeremy and we started talking and he had a, an, uh, the title of More Than Baseball and I loved it. Um, exactly what I wanted to do with my experiences in life and where I had been and um, just the way my perspective had shifted on what was important in life. I wanted to be able to shed light and be able to work and help with players for that are going through the same battles and same uh, uh, struggles that I had gone through as well as, you know, making the best ball player we can be. And, and my philosophy and, and where I saw a transformation in between my 2014-2015 season was the mental side of the game of how your perspective can control so much. So we wanted to do something that was about more than the game, but focused on minor leaguers. Slade, can you tell the people listening exactly um what was in the Save America's Pastime Act that kind of triggered you to uh, speak up and also tell us uh, how much it drove you crazy that they had the gall to call this uh, Save America's Pastime. <laughs> uh, anybody that knows about it, um, it, it is, it's, it's crazy. It blows my mind that um, it would be called Save America's Pastime Act with what it was saying. So um, very and and there's definitely parts of this this document as it's a entire bill that I do not know. But the uh, the highlights to take from it, it was it actually took professional baseball players and gave them the job title of seasonal internships. What that did was it allowed teams and ownership to get around having to pay minimum wage uh, for the people that are not aware. Um, we had roughly. 60 to 70 percent of professional baseball players affiliated with big league clubs this year make under eight thousand dollars for the entire year and that's not including equipment that's not including rent that's not including um you know having to go to spring training and things of this nature so there's what you don't get paid for uh no we do not (laughs) and we can clarify yeah and there's a lot of things that and i think one of the issues is just the awareness um, a lot of times when I'm asking or talking with people, the number that I get when I ask people, you know, what do you think minor league baseball players make? And it's between the 50 and 70s, 80 range is what people believe minor leaguers make. Um, and that's that's for fans that have been lifelong fans in the game. So it's something that has, has never been shed light on and it hasn't been um, shown to the public for people to understand what is going on. Um, and, you know, and I think there's a beautiful side of that of where I think people would have more respect for minor league baseball players and, and what the what the journey and what they do and go through. Um, and, I, and I also think it would shed light on, you know, the reality of what is going on. Um, and I, I think that's overshadowed when we see players like Trout get a $400 million deal because now 
And that's great. And he deserves every bit of that as well. You know, I'm also on the side that I think major league players should be getting paid more because ownerships are and teams are making more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's two sides of that, but it gave, it, it was a loophole for them to get away with paying under minimum wage. Let me ask you a question as a minor leaguer during the regular season, how many hours in a day are you typically working? Whether it's at the ballpark, d- doing workouts or drills or watching video or whatever it is. What's your, what's a typical day for a minor leaguer as far as the hours that you actually are at work? I love that you asked this because this is something else that a lot of people don't realize. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that still think that, you know, players show up to the field at five 30 and they play, put their uniform on and go out and play. And <laughs> that's not the reality. Um, you know, if you have a 705 game time, and I'll just speak for my schedule, um, and there's people that would arrive before me, and there's guys that would arrive after me. But um, for the most part, you're at the field for a 705 game. If not, before noon, you're there by one for sure. Um, you, you normally have early work out on the field starting around one. Um, so for the most part, I, I would get to the field between like 11 and 1130. Um, that would put me leaving the field around 11 o'clock after three, three hour and 15 minute game, cool down, eat, shower, things of that nature. So it, it puts you out at the field a solid 11, 12 hours a day, uh, for the majority. Uh, there's definitely travel days where you have show and goes where you'll show up to the field at three o'clock. Uh, for that, but that's that's a very rare occasion for the most part. One thing I've always been, I guess, kind of fascinated with the minor leagues uh, is just with like team chemistry. And the reason I ask that is, you know, at the major league level, obviously personal stats and all that's very important. But the, but you would think there is some sort of common goal of like let's win the division, let's win this game tonight, let's win the World Series, let's win whatever we can. Is it different at the minor league level? Because one, players are coming and going with more fluidity than at the major league level. And also, is the goal more, yeah, winning the game would be awesome, but really I just need to play well so I can move up a level? Yeah, I think that, you know, unfortunately that's that's the downside of this whole scenario with the minor leagues. Um, I, I think that the perspective or the feeling that minor leaguers get when they're in there, it's such a dog-eat-dog world. It's such a... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make ends meet. I'm, I'm going into debt. I've got to, I've got to figure something out. And I think that puts guys in a very awkward position. And, and I don't think that they mean to even be, um, ill mannered in that way. But, um, I think because of the pay and, and just be the lifestyle and always be on the road, you're, I mean, it's, you're always with people, but it can also be a very lonely game. Um, yeah. with with playing and ups and downs of the season you know we it's a it's 142 games in 150 days um and that's that involves you know 16 hour bus rides or nine hour bus rides to the middle of uh georgia with a bus that the heater or the air conditioner broke <laughs> it, it it's just it's so many there's so many variables that that put strain on guys and their mental perspective that it does end up being about me and about I in the game. And that's the unfortunate side of that. One of the things that I think is not enough people are aware of, you know, when we're talking about this, right, that players don't 
make a full-time salary, right? They're not being paid minimum wage. What that means effectively isn't just, um, you know, they can't go out every night or they don't have a fancy car. Sometimes it means they can't actually buy the equipment they need to continue in this game. What are some of the most, I guess, unexpected impacts of the financial side of minor league baseball that in some cases chase people out of the game? Yeah, I mean, I, I talk about this a lot. Um, half of Major League Baseball players pay – Major League Baseball, that means on the 25-man roster – uh, end up paying for their equipment in some way, shape, or form. Most of the time, their agents cover it. But I think a lot of people have this reality or this perception that minor league baseball players, because you're a professional athlete, you get free equipment. I know that's what I thought um, my entire life. And I was just never trained on that thought. But that's not the reality. We, we have probably 80 85% of minor league baseball players paying for all 100% of their equipment. Um, and that's bats, that's cleats, that's shoes for for a hitter. And this is one of the arguments I have with, not, and not even argument, one of my points with teams, because I think that there's, uh, with ownership in teams, with what could be done and, and how much money they spend on new technology and, and all these things going on to make players better, I think that they're missing just one, like the very small fact that is such a huge thing, that players aren't able to focus on being the best players they can be. If you have a guy that is making $6,500 a year at, at low A this year, with like a Sally League guy, and he's paying for a $400 place to have four guys in a two-bedroom so that they're splitting it, he's paying his $12 a day in clubhouse dues, he's paying for his food, and now he breaks a bat that's $100. Well, that $100 bat for one bat that's broken, anybody watch the game, it happens so much. That That's a fourth of somebody's paycheck right there. So I've seen so many guys have to leave the game just because they can't and are not able to afford a bat. And that's unfortunate for somebody that is in the top 1% of their field in the world. Yeah. The big story in baseball this week, obviously, was the Astros um, and uh, all that is being alleged and all that has kind of already been decided in terms of basically cheating, um, you know, sign stealing and stuff like that. Going on, on what you're talking about with the minor leagues and how a lot of players aren't even paid a living wage, I would think there's such enormous pressure to somehow get to that level where you can at least have a chance to, to one day get a good paycheck that by – not paying minor leaguers uh, a living wage, they're almost encouraging them to, I don't want to just file things. They're making it a lot more tempting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, know like, you know where I'm going with this question. Yeah, can you, can you expound on that a little bit? Is there a lot of pressure to be like, look, I have to do whatever I can to at least put myself in position to make a lot of money. And, you know, obviously I have my ethics, but I also need to eat. I also need to, I would like, you know, I would like to get paid one day. Yeah, and, and you're obviously a competitor as well. Um, I'm not saying that what the Astros did is right because it's it's definitely not. You know, we when you cross the line of wearable tech, that's that's a that's in that, that's a whole different mm-hmm. ball game. Like, I don't care about sign stealing. Like, I think it's part of the game as long as there's not 
wearable tech. That's the line that really takes it the other step. But in terms of stealing base, stealing signs when you're sitting on second base and I'm watching a catcher and trying to figure it out, I have no problem with that because the good catchers, you're not ever going to pick up their signs. Matt Weeders, you know, like in 2015, like you could never pick up a sign. Every second pitch, it was it was a whole new sequence. Like that's part of the game is being as a catcher and what makes catchers so valuable is that game plan. Um, so I think that that aspect of the game is completely natural. And mm-hmm. um, and I know that's a heavily debated topic. You know, Mark Desher is a guy that wanted nothing to do with it. I have no problem with it. Um, now, when you start doing the wearable tech is where it's, it's bad. But, you know, guys that have nothing, I mean, you know, I, I get it all the time where fans are like, Oh well, you know what? They're 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 being minor league baseball players. You should be thankful because now you have a chance to be at the millions. Yeah, that that is one reality, truth of it. But there's also I don't think people realize what you have to do in the game of baseball to really get that life changing money. And I'm not I'm not trying to say that five hundred thousand dollars a year is in life changing money. Um, but you know, like. Like when I was living in New York, I was paying fifty eight percent tax. I was paying, you know, two hundred seventy five dollars a day in clubhouse yeah. dues and and union dues. I was paying for an apartment that was short term lease in New York City, furnished. So, um, like, <laughs> so not cheap is what you're telling, right? Me. And, and so it's not a cheap lifestyle. You know, you're you're having to pay for your equipment. You're having to pay for your training in the off season, um, things of that nature. You're you know the guys that are able to, you're flying places to expand your horizons and, and try to get the best of the best. So you're constantly spending time trying to get better. Um, but, you know, Aaron Judge just now, like how much money has he made Major League Baseball in the Yankees? And he's been playing for $550,000 mm-hmm. a year. Um, so there's just a lot of things you have to do to, you know, you have to really get to that sixth full year in the big mm-hmm. leagues to have that life-changing deal or, you know, there's those anomalies like Scott Kingery that gets a long-term deal even before he gets to the big leagues. But for the most part, you you know, you have to be in the big leagues for five or six solid years to make life-changing money. Um, so I think that that adds a lot of stress and pressure and just re- creates that temptation um, for guys to want to be the best and, you know, take that shortcut, uh, things of that nature. So, I, you know, I think that that definitely plays a factor in it. I want to talk about more than baseball and some of the things you guys have going on, as you mentioned, to help guys in the game right now. But before we get to that, you kind of brought this up with, um, you know, the things that people will say, uh, you should be grateful that you have the opportunity or you get to play a game for a living or if you don't like it, go do something else. What are some of the now sort of cliche things that you hear all the time that really frankly miss the point in this whole conversation about the livelihood of these people who are professionals at their craft that are being treated like interns. What are some of the things that you hear most often? Uh, That's the one. I mean, you said the one I hear the most, like, well, you should just be thankful you're getting to play baseball. If I was, if I could play baseball, I would do it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, That's my favorite because I would love to see them try. You know, (laughs) yeah, I think the point that's missed here, because I have people that stand up all the time and like, I can't believe you think because you play a game, people should get paid more. It's still a job. It's still a profession. You're still paying taxes. You're still, you know, you're still a part of a billion dollar corporation. You should make, we're not saying that minor league players should make $50,000 or $70,000. You know, $24,000 is sometimes four times what they're making now. Um, And, and, you know, I think the poverty level came out the other day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the poverty level was like 13,000 somewhere in there. Don't quote me directly, but somewhere around 13, $14,000 is the poverty level. Well, you have, um, you, you didn't, if you were a first five year guy that was not, um, on a roster or, uh, hasn't signed a free agency deal, you could not at your best possible chance. If you were five years, um, an all-star, you got your $50 bonus, every paycheck for that you wouldn't have made poverty. You wouldn't have made it to the poverty line. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that's at the AAA level. Like that's that, I think the most you could have made this year was like 13, eight or right around $14,000. Yeah. That's, that's wild. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, something you said earlier just made me think, uh, you know, I, I have a job, Tara has a job and you know, every so often I have fun at my job. Uh, every, every so often I like my job. <laughs> right. I don't think because of that, I should get paid less because, right. because I'm having a good time. Uh, now there's plenty of, plenty of days I'm having a bad time and I'm sure that's the case for you, for you as well. Uh, but just the whole idea that because you're playing baseball and, and baseball has such a romantic kind of like, uh, feeling in this country that, that the idea that you're playing professional baseball that you you shouldn't be paid a living wage is a really it seems so stupidly obvious on its face uh, of how bad an <laughs> argument that is but it really i've just i've noticed people on twitter and elsewhere it really is a hard thing to get through to people that like you said you're not talking about people in low a getting paid a hundred thousand dollars a year we're talking about a right. living wage you know what's the most upsetting thing about for me personally throughout the like I rem- I still remember the very first time I heard it and I was just like I couldn't believe like when I wrapped my head around the fact that you know some of the replies that I get the worst like the worst replies like saying you know minor league baseball players don't deserve to get paid more they that you know they should live the lifestyle they have for the chance that they get it's coming from like true quote unquote baseball fans. Yeah. Like Oh that, yeah. Like that hard that school is, hard hardcore purist old school baseball people, right? So like that's so disheartening to me. Like yeah. how can you say that about a game that you love with players that are coming into the sport that you quote unquote love? How often I mean you you went through the whole journey, right? From the minor leagues all the way up to the major league level. You had that experience there's this sense, I think, with some people that the struggle is part of the journey. And if you take the struggle away, you lose something along the journey. I, I don't know how you kind of twist that into justifying like guys not having money to buy food <laughs> every day. But, you know, that that's a thing that people will say is that it, it builds character and it's it's part of the journey. When you hear that having been all the way through that process, how do you respond to that? Because obviously, yes, if you go through difficult things, it can make you stronger. But is it a necessary part of becoming a capable Major League Baseball player? Look, if you think that you need to be paid $10,000 or $6,000 to be taught character in the game of baseball, I invite anyone that wants, go stand inside a box with a a high pitcher and you (laughs) take as many swings as you want. And at the end of the day, you let me know if you think that you've taught enough lessons because 
baseball is, and, and you know, obviously I'm biased playing this, but anybody that knows about the game of baseball cannot argue with this one fact that you are taught character through playing the game of baseball. There are so many ups and downs. I can't recall how many times I would step out on a field and be in a game or be in the box and have no idea what I'm doing. It, it, it plays – it's such a different psychological warfare than anything else that you experience. It's different than football. It's different than the other sports because it's based around failure. It, you know, seven out of ten times you're failing. So if you're a 30% success rate, you're a Hall of Famer. That, that, that takes a huge psychological toll yeah. on players on a daily basis. And, and it's not like it ends. Like football, you have the next week. Okay, we're going to take five days. Let's get away from this. Let's practice. Let's work. No, the next day you're going up and lacing it up. And the day after that, and the day after that for 140 days <laughs> in a row, basically. And you yeah. have to fight through that psychological battle on a daily basis. And, and I invite anybody that doesn't understand that, just just go try to hit <laughs> and then be told that your entire livelihood, the food that you're going to eat, the, the chance for your family to, you know, go on vacations or have a roof over their head or have running water depends on what you're going to do at that AB. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it's, it's unlike anything you can experience. So <laughs> you don't need to be paid $6,000 to be taught character. What you need to do is be given a, a, a lifestyle that you're able to go out and perform your best, just like the majority of jobs out there today. And there are plenty of jobs out there that are underpaid. For me, our military, our armed services, our teachers are the first three that I would say that need to be paid more. They should be our primary focus in our society, and it's sad that they are not. But we focus on baseball. We don't take yeah. away from the fact that, that teachers are underpaid and, and there's, there's plenty of, of professions out there that work 80 hours a week to get paid like 40 hours a week, like nursing and things of that nature. So there's professions out there that can relate, but not to the fact that $6,000 or $8,000 is what you make the entire year. And then you go into your off season and you're required to maintain a shape. You're required <laughs> to maintain a program where – now that costs money to go hit at a cage or to have balls to hit or to drive, to eat, to have, you know, a decent routine to be able to work out and stay in shape. It, it's, it's impossible sometimes. Um, and especially with that, with that amount of money and through that course of time where you, it's not like you can have just another job, the jobs you work, which every guy does, it has to be a part-time job. So you're not making – it's really tough to have a job through the middle of the part of the season when you're having to travel and a lot of times you don't have cell service or Wi-Fi connectability. Like there's just so many pieces of this that can be solved by looking at the overall picture of the health and, and well-being of men stepping out into society that are also stepping out on the baseball field. Speaking of which, I noticed that uh... – more than baseball really uh, places an emphasis on food and and nutrition. And I was curious uh, what you've seen in in the evolution of of just diet for baseball players from when you first came in in 2009 um, until now. Um, Because I just, you know, forget baseball for a second. Just I feel like our society as a whole, we look at food differently than we did 15 years ago. And we look at the importance of eating well differently than we did 15 years ago. And your experience as a baseball player, uh, did, 
your habits change, eating habits change, or was there a, a different focus on the way you ate uh, more recently than when you started? I don't know if that question makes sense, but a hundred percent does. Yeah, I um, I I view working out, I view life, I view my diet completely different than when I came in. Um, I had no emphasis on diet, um, and the first five years of playing in pro ball, there really there was. You know, the Yankees had started touching on diets and things of that nature, more so for people that were, you know, out of shape. You know, I think Gary Sanchez came to, to uh, spring training one year out of shape and they basically put him through fat boy camp. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there, there was some of those days. But the last couple of years, probably f- 2015 and on um, with the Yankees, a huge different, a huge um emphasis on clean healthy diets with inflammation and especially with just that that repetitive daily battle and and you know that just little things keep compiling compiling we really start noticing um the importance of our diet for inflammation for you know cellular health to be able to regenerate and recover with having to do what we do on a daily basis so yeah, my, my perspective and opinion completely changed. And now I realize and understand the importance of how you, you, you have to have a good diet to have any chance of staying healthy and feeling semi Nobody ever feels 100% in the game of baseball. It may be in, maybe opening day, maybe. But you always have something going on, so that's normal. But to get back to that 75%, um, Mark, like diet is a huge piece of that sleep recovery. Uh, so that's why we've, we've made such an emphasis on the food and, and I, you know, kind of the three pillars that we think guys, and now that we've gotten our poles back and things of that nature, like we see that food housing and equipment, like those are the three things. And that's why our three main focuses are on those three topics, because that is what minor leaguers struggle with the most. And that is where we see that we can help right now. And how we can, and we want to make players better by doing so. And we believe that that will happen, that we will be able to shift this barrier with teams and MLB and MLBPA and MILB, start to be this mending body to bring these pieces together. Because there's definitely ways that we can, we can do that with an overall goal of making the game better as well. So let's talk about that a little bit, because one of the things that I think is interesting is that you are working with all of those different groups of people. This isn't just something that is, um, you know, kind of acting out on its own. You've gained support from a lot of people. But what is it that you are doing with More Than Baseball right now that does impact those three things in particular? Yeah. So one of the things that we're super pumped about that will come out, uh, we've been working on a player ambassador program Mm -hmm. um, with the idea of being able to send about $40,000 worth of equipment out this year, Um, you know, and up and redo our website, create a player portal, really start getting that connectivity um, to be able to get players connected together. That's one of our biggest goals for the off season and the training is, you know, let's get it, let's get somewhere that we can gather minor leaguers and where they have accessibility to each other. So that way we can start networking and figuring out ways that, uh, guys can work out together and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, that, that's something we're super excited about. Um, something that we are very, very close to being able to announce. And we're, um, ex- <laughs> I'm, I'm super pumped about it because I just, so many of my really good friends and so many guys that, um, you know, I played with, 
I saw retire because they couldn't they couldn't afford a bat. They couldn't afford another glove and, you know, things of that nature. And, and one good thing about the game is guys do take care of each other. Um, you know, there's guys that pass equipment around and try to do it, but guys can only do so much. So it, it's something that we're excited about, something that I think will make a huge impact um, and start mending and showing that improvement that, look, we're here to help guys. We're here not only to help minor leaguers, but we're here to help big league teams because if we can help produce better minor leaguers that have – better mentalities and better quality of life. They become better athletes. They become better men. They, they create a better society. And we create better teamwork in a, in a game that teamwork is so much. That's why teams win playoffs. That's why anything can happen in playoff baseball because it's mm-hmm. about guys playing together and playing as a team. And that's the only way you win championships. You can make playoffs. You can do that. But to win championships, you have to have something special. And we believe that by by taking this load off guys they'll be able to focus that a little bit you know maybe they're able to focus one or two or seven hours more a week on on being better baseball players instead of having to figure out how to make ends meet um we're working on another program um that we want to launch a housing grant program um and there's some ways that we have strategized on how we're going to go about that Um, And there's some things that, you know, like commercial authorization, that's one of the biggest things I would love to gain this year is commercial authorization of minor leaguers, because and I kind of touched on it earlier. I believe that there are there is corporate money out there that will help create a licensing program and help pay players more. That's our that's our thing is we understand that ownership cares about making money. I understand it. It's a business as well. I understand it from that side, but we also want to show that we're here to use our resources to make the impact that we can make to put money in players' pocket. And if if we can just get teams to work with us on that front, if I could get commercial authorization for a body of minor leaguers as a whole, I can guarantee you I can put money in minor leaguers' pockets and start the chain of being able to find that backing. I think the Sports Business Journal came out with a post I'll have to look back at it, but um, basically it was talking about where are corporations wanting to put their money? And it was a poll uh, between sports franchises. And out of that, MILB was above NFL <laughs> and, 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 money, and corporations wanting to put their brand behind. That, t- that, that, that proved my, our theory that if we can get commercial authorization, we can go out there and find ways to make money. Not only that, if I have commercial authorization, we can go out there and start building a bigger fan base. We can start working with PR departments at every affiliate where we can start connecting pieces around the country and create a bigger picture here that can help players out. All right. So I do want to I, I ask a quick question about Bull, Bull Durham. All right. Awesome movie. One of the things I love about it, other than the fact that just it's a very quality film, is just kind of the validation that seems like every single Major League Baseball player says this is the most realistic baseball movie I've ever seen. This is what it's really like. I think I remember Adam Wainwright most recently made a comment as such. <laughs> some of the baseball scenes, like the way Tim Robbins pitches, like some of his wild pitches throwing up in the press box – there's something about it I just can't buy into. It drives me crazy. I assume you've seen Bull Durham. Uh-huh. One, do you, do you vouch for the realness that it seems like every other baseball player uh, uh, says? And also, uh, do you know the scenes I'm talking about with the way Tim Robbins is throwing wild pitches up into the press box and, and the second deck? Well, 
You should go watch some uh, GCL games or some <laughs> games and tell me that uh, you don't see 103 about 15 feet over your head off the back. Okay. Um, no, no, I agree. Uh, it is a very good depiction of the game. It just, you know, like you said, there's there's ups and downs in everything in life, and, and we have that in the game of baseball, and it just so happens that it has to do with livelihood and things of that nature on a daily basis, so... I think the movie does a great job. That's awesome. Uh, Slade, the last question that I have for you, and then we will let you go. What can people do? Follow us at mtb underscore dot org. So uh, more than baseball underscore org. So mtb um, more than baseball dot org. You know, just start reach out. Anybody that, that has, you know, we we have different, you know, ambassador levels where it's at local levels, levels where we have guys and people that want to do fundraisers and for them they get to hang out with players and it it creates a, an environment where fans and players get to interact more and more and that's our whole goal is to find a way to reach a bigger like let's think outside of the box let's let's figure out a way together th- that we can create a better environment for us because how many kids around the United States that I know that one of the very first times I ever had the dream of playing in the big leagues was because I was at a taller Tulsa drillers baseball game uh, growing up. I think I was probably eight, eight years old, maybe where really the first time that I remember, like I want to play in the big leagues. How many kids around the United States have moments like that? How many kids get touched and get to experience minor leaguers? And that shifts and changes the perspective of that kid's life growing up. Um, I know like in Charleston, I, I, my very, my second year playing crazy story, long story short, my family gets on an elevator with a little kid that has a Heathcott jersey on. Um, the kid's name is Hunter and I still talk to him on a very regular basis to this day. Somebody that, that, that is a friend and, and that I've been able to know his, his entire family and talk to his sister and his parents and things of that nature. So you, you just you meet so many cool ga- people and life experiences around the game of baseball. So let's figure out a way to come together to ensure that this game that we all love is here to stay. And not only that, it's better. It's better for kids. It's better for local communities. It's bigger. It's better for bigger market teams. There's ways to come together and make this a more sustainable operation for everyone. Awesome. Well, check out the website, follow them on Twitter, I will retweet them all the time. So just follow me and I'm sure you'll see stuff. Um, and we'll, we'll see if we can't, um, you know, jump in and, and be part of maybe something within the, the Cardinals ranks over the course of the season. Slade, we'll let you go for this evening, but thank you so much for your time. No, thank thank you, so you guys for having me on. Thank you for having an interest. It means a lot to us. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun talking to Slade and um, hopefully we'll get to do some stuff with them as the season rolls along. Alex, that means it is time for the Chirp of the Week. Excellent. Uh, First, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, tonight and again, this is Monday night, so this could be completely meaningless by (laughs) Wednesday, but Nolan Arenado went from being out of the news because it sounded like the Rockies were saying, we're not going to trade you to all of a sudden very much back in the news. Cause he says, cause he then went on to say, Oh yeah, well, guess what? I hate you guys and I don't want to be here. Uh, <laughs> not his exact quote, but pretty close. So this could 
be interesting or could be absolutely nothing. But can I we just we'll can we just out. like applaud all Major League Baseball players this week for being like na 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 na? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me let me speak. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been fun. Um, and anyway, Trevor of the week. Uh, so we just had that conversation with Slade. I thought it would be good to talk about minor league baseball and Tara, I want to talk about the uh, Springfield Cardinals. And when I say the Springfield Cardinals, I'm not talking about the Springfield Cardinals that we know and love today, double a Springfield, Missouri. I'm talking about the Springfield Cardinals of Springfield, Illinois, who I grew up with and were, were the single a affiliate in um for the cardinals from 1982 to 1993 they were in springfield illinois about 25 minutes away from my house they played at lanfear park uh which has now been renamed i think robin roberts field at lanfear park robin roberts of course the hall of fame pitcher who was from springfield um we would go to games every so often uh you know, I, I shouldn't say that. I, we definitely went to a couple. But they, I do remember in the late 80s, they had a lot of stars. Uh, and when I say a lot of stars, I mean, in, from 1987 to 1988, they had Todd Zeal, Ray Langford, and Bernard Gilkey were all playing in Springfield at one point or another. And those are guys who combined for about 80 wins above replacement for their career. Uh, and I have to think that's pretty rare right to find three guys on one single a team uh that would go on to have that kind of illustrious career in mlb uh maybe i'm wrong but it it certainly seems rare yeah and and like i said they're there from 1982 to 1993 their main rival uh was the peoria chiefs who were um just up the road in central illinois the peoria chiefs at the time were the cubs affiliate uh they if you know their history they have bounced back and forth from being like a cubs affiliate and a cardinals affiliate and they last switched back to being a Cardinals affiliate, I believe, in 2013. Mm-hmm. But back then, they were a Cubs affiliate. And so I knew a lot of their players as well. They had a player named Ty Griffin, uh, who, was, who was their big player and the Cubs' big prospect. And he did what a lot of prospects do and turned out to um, not really do anything. <laughs> but yeah, baseball it was hard, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he 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 did have a he baseball is is hard, but he uh he did have a good baseball card. I think it was like a Topps Future Stars card or something that we all thought was going to be worth a lot of money someday. Um it was not. But yeah, I do remember on the local news at like 10:30, they would always give the Cardinals and Cubs score and then they would also give the Cardinals and Chiefs score. And it was just very neat having baseball um, even though, you know, it was very clear that this was not anything close to what Bush Stadium looked like, um, both in terms of crowd, both in terms of stadium size, and both in terms of, and also in terms of caliber of play, but still having professional baseball that close to where we lived always seemed neat. Now, they left in 1993 because, of course, the Cardinals felt like Lanfear Park was not up to par um, with the standards of, of what they wanted, and, and they left. Um, and they never returned. Um, but some other prominent um, Springfield Cardinals, again, Springfield, Illinois Cardinals, who you may have heard of, Tom Pagnazzi, uh, John Mabry, Dimitri Young, uh, Danny Cox, Jeff Facero, who is actually from Springfield, and also Ricky Horton. Uh, so there you go. The uh, Springfield Cardinals, that's your chirp of the week. If you get the chance, go online. They had a great old logo. Um, Mm. Just kind of a different version of the, I guess, old Slugger Bird logo that we're all familiar with. Um, I've always wanted to find a t-shirt 
with that logo, but uh, I have not been very successful. If anyone can help Alex find a t-shirt, uh, <laughs> you win. Uh, I don't know what you win. We'll figure something out. Um, you're the the fan of the week. I, I will buy you. I will buy you. I will match it. And, and there I will you go. You You'll get a yeah. t-shirt too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so find Alex a t-shirt. That is a mission. And then have one for yourself as well. Um, yeah. A lot of old minor league uh, stories end with a team leaving because of facilities, which is fascinating because that's such a conversation right now. And, you know, I think not to dive back down that rabbit rabbit hole, but the fact that facilities need to be maintained and updated has never really been in question. It's just a matter of allowing minor league teams the opportunity to do that before eliminating them from existence entirely. So we didn't even get to talk to Slade about that. I would love to know his perspective on the contraction proposal itself. Maybe we'll just have to have him back on for round two at some <laughs> point and, uh, and go from there. But I think that does it for this show. Lots of information, lots of um, speculation about what will happen as the Astros continue their march towards opening day, which is going to seem much more dramatic than normal, I think. And as for the Cardinals, who knows? By the time you listen to this, maybe the Nolan Arenado trade is back on and we'll have something else to talk about. I will not be around next week, so Alex will be uh, manning the controls of the show. But until then, I'm Tara. He's Alex. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.